Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. We want to welcome all those who are listening online. A lot of people continue to listen online. We're so glad that we can connect together with the technology that we have. But we are going to have a Bible study in just a little bit. I'm going to hand it over to Travis as an announcement he wants to make. Yes, I'm happy to announce that we are finally, officially, going to have our hymn night tonight. Rain, sleet, snow, sunshine, cloud, doesn't matter. We're going to be right here at 6 o'clock. So uh, I I encourage you guys to come out and just enjoy these songs. They are timeless truths in timeless melodies that are are dear to me and I know dear to many of you. And uh, so I hope that you come and just sing these hymns with us and honor both the heritage that we have in these songs that have been handed to us from previous generations, as well as honoring the Lord, uh, ultimately honoring the Lord tonight. So 6 o'clock tonight is our hymn night. Hope to see you there. All right. Thanks, Travis. A couple other things before we get into our Bible study. Um, One is that OCC, Operation Christmas Child, we've been doing that for many, many years. Matter of fact, we've been the collection for the shoeboxes in Greeling and this area of Weld County for, I believe, 17, 18 years now. So we are going to have Operation Christmas Child this year. So the shoe boxes are out there at the information uh, table. You can just grab one of those. I think most of you are familiar with the ministry. As you get a shoe box, you fill it up with some some things for children as the boxes are going to be going to many different countries around the world. And um, they have, if you get on Operation Christmas Child, uh, their website, it gives you suggestions what to, to get for those shoe boxes for a boy or for a girl. And then we will collect those during collection week, which is going to be Monday, the 16th of November. It's hard to believe that's coming up in a couple of weeks, right? We're already in November. But the 16th through the 23rd, that's a Monday through a Monday, we'll be posting those hours. And usually we just had one of the rooms where everybody came in and helped. But Operation Christmas Child, which is under Samaritan's Purse, they have uh, certain regulations how they want to do it. So it's, I think it's going to be more out in the parking lot. Gail, who went to the training, will show us. But we'll make sure um, that your shoebox gets in. It's handled with love and care and packaged. And then it goes to Denver to where it gets sorted out again. And then I think most of the shoeboxes here go to Mexico and Central America and some to South America on you know, from the Denver area, but uh, I don't know for sure. But it's a great way, parents, for you to introduce missions to your kids. And uh, so be praying about that if it's new to you, but we're looking forward to it. So get your shoe box um, and uh, you can talk to your kids about this shoe box. The Lord knows where the shoe box is going to go, which child is going to receive it. And they put the gospel tracks in there with the gospel message in, in the language that wherever it goes. And millions of these shoe boxes go all over the world. It's, it's such a, a cool ministry that we've been involved in and you've been involved in. And so I would encourage you to get involved with that. And, you know, you and your children can pray, Lord, you know where this shoe box is going to go and which child is going to receive it. And be able to talk to them about missions. And uh, I think it's just a, a neat opportunity for you to do that. Also, on Tuesday, 730 in the morning, women's prayer here at the church. And then Tuesday evening for uh, moms, those of you who homeschool, uh, half night, which is um, home education fellowship, homeschool moms that they're going to be meeting starting at 630 here in Savannah Bennett oversees that. So uh, if you homeschool, this is a great opportunity for you to be in fellowship with others. And um, the middle schoolers are going to be meeting after third service today. And you can pick them up at 130 parents. And then look at our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. Our e-bulletin is updated with all the details that you need to know. Every single week, Travis and Barbara do such a wonderful job and, and, and put a lot of effort into making sure all that information is there. And so take a look at that. And, um, you know, we're heading towards uh, the holidays. We'll be heading towards a new year in a couple months. We need to continue to pray and, and seeking the Lord and trusting in him and and i believe that today's message is is going to be a great encouragement to us at this time so father we thank you we thank you that we can gather here this morning i I think of uh, the first two services that there were so many people that were here and um and i thank you that we can gather to hear your word to be encouraged to be edified because we need that and then certain times we have 
the certainty of your word, your promises, your presence. And I pray that you would take this wonderful invitation that we're going to read from Jesus and that we would take to heart um, what it is that you desire to show us and tell us to come to you. I pray that as we leave this place, we would leave with um, just peace, a peace that passes understanding, a joy unspeakable, but rest in our souls. And Lord, so I thank you. I thank you for those who are listening online, perhaps uh, that are at home or um, in high risk. And, and um, Lord, I just pray for your blessing upon them wherever they're at. And we just commit this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we've been traveling through the 11th chapter of Matthew's narrative, we read uh, last time as we ended how Jesus, he indicted in verses 20 through 24 the, the, the cities up there in the Galilee region where Jesus spent most of his time, uh, Capernaum, uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, because they saw and witnessed the mighty works that Jesus did, yet they didn't respond to the message of Jesus. He would come along and he would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it tells us in Luke's gospel that Jesus would say that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. In other words, the prophets, they long for today to see what you in Capernaum and you in Chorazin and you in Bethsaida have seen. And of course, Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry in that area doing all kinds of miracles and mighty works and, and teaching the people the Sermon on the Mount and, and uh, the parable of the kingdoms as we're going to see. And, and yet they didn't respond to his ministry. It would be a, a Moses and Elijah and David. They longed to, to hear and to see Messiah. If the cities of Tyre and Sidon, which were up north uh, of them, which is today Lebanon, if, if Sodom, we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if they would have seen the miracles that you have seen in Capernaum, they would have repented. And even though we can think it would be awesome to be back in Old Testament times to see some of those miracles that took place, the, the Red Sea being parted, fire being called down from heaven, uh, the earth opened up, you know, in a big earthquake, uh, all these things that we read about, David slewing Goliath. It would have been awesome to see those things, but I believe that those prophets of old would say to us here this morning that we are the ones that are truly blessed because we have the whole story. How Jesus has provided for us forgiveness and salvation and relationship with the Father, we understand what they didn't understand. We understand what they couldn't understand. Even though they wrote about Messiah, his birth and his life and his ministry and his death, but they didn't understand like we do as we look back to the cross. And so it's no wonder that Paul the Apostle, when he first came to Corinth, he would write, that I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because the greatest miracle of all is seen here in this place this morning. And that is all of you. All of you who have come to Christ in faith and are a new creation in Christ. That you have a new heart. Regeneration has happened. You're alive spiritually, born again by the Spirit of God. That's the greatest miracle of all. And so even though Jesus had harsh things to say to the people of the Galilee area, people had been streaming into that region from all over the country to receive healing. Uh, he was freeing the demoniacs. They even saw the dead being raised. But when Jesus began to talk about true discipleship, as we saw in the last chapter, and, and he will continue to do so, we're going to see that the crowds are going to get smaller. And we're going to see in the next chapter, chapter 12, that the religious leaders are really going to begin to mount their opposition against Jesus. But first, uh, we want to finish the chapter as we pick it up. We've gone as far as verse 25 of chapter 11. And at that time, we read, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. In verse 27, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, 
and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So you may recall that as Jesus in, in this chapter, in verses 16 through 19, he was rebuking that generation for their childish reaction. And we played the flute and you did not dance. We mourned and you did not lament. Uh, in other words, you religious elite, you've rejected the ministry and the message of Messiah. You've rejected the message and the ministry of John the Baptist. You are being unreasonable and critical and cynical and judgmental. And now Jesus declares that true discipleship can be enjoy, enjoyed by those who come in childlike faith. Now, when we read the scriptures, when the scripture talks about childlike faith, that you need to humble yourself and become like a child, or talks about simplicity of faith, um, it's not in a derogatory term. When he says that, thank you, Father, that you revealed them to babes, he's not calling them babies in, in a negative way. And I think most of us understand that. But sometimes when people hear that word, uh, as we talk about it in the scriptures, having a simplicity of heart, simplicity of faith, that, that that word simple means that you're not smart, that you, you are dumb or something like that. It doesn't mean that at all. When we speak about childlike faith, when we talk about uh, simplicity of heart, what we are talking about is humility, uh, softness of heart, to receive the things of the Lord. It was Dr. Ironside. I remember reading one of his commentaries on this portion of scripture, and he wrote in this whole area of childlike faith. And I remember that my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, used to tell us pastors the same thing. They would always, uh, he would, and, and Dr. Ironside would remind his students, always put the cookies on the bottom shelf so the kids can get to them. In other words, when you teach, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so the kids can get to them. And I think that's good advice. You see, we want to be able to give Bible study, whether you are teaching your kids or your grandkids, you're teaching the children, whether you're discipling teenagers or a small group or doing a Bible study, that you want to be able to present the Word of God where people understand. Uh, we want to put the cookies where the kids can get to them. In other words, when I teach here, I want to make it to where you and I, we both understand what the Word of God has to say. Now, I'm not saying that Bible study should not be intelligent. I appreciate those who are scholars in the Scriptures and, and uh, that we can go to those resources. I very much appreciate that. Those who have dedicated themselves in studying the Scriptures uh, are advanced um, in the study of Scripture and and, and, and I think that's very important in the body of Christ. But when I teach the word of God to you, and you know that Bible study should be intelligent, I want you to be able to understand. I want to put the cookies where the kids can get to it, that we look just not at the implication, but the application. And the word of God is alive, it's powerful. To let it touch your heart and, and for us to be touched by the Lord because this is God-breathed. This is God's word given to the page, written on the page for you and for me, and it is profitable for us. Hebrews says it's a lie powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul writing to Timothy that is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Bible study should be intelligent, but we should understand it, not just all intellectual, not just philosophical. And here, as Jesus breaks out in prayer to the Father, he says, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've revealed your truth to simple, ordinary people, that we can understand God's word. Sometimes people come to me and they say, I just can't understand the Bible. Yes, you can. Just read it and continue to study it and take it in. And the Lord's going to give you understanding and the Holy Spirit's going to give you understanding. You see, the religious elite, the, the teachers of the law here, they weren't responding. But Father, I thank you for the babes. It would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that we know that Paul would write that God has chosen the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world to put to shame the wise and the things that are mighty. I love it in Acts chapter 4 as Peter and John, those two fishermen, those two apostles, are standing before the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin council. And it says that 
those religious leaders that they marveled how those fishermen who were untrained and uneducated were so wise and perceived that they had been with Jesus. So the key for us, if we want to be wise, that is true wisdom, godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. The key is to spend time with the Lord and to spend time in his word. And you will be so wise, listen, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the world are going to take note of it. And they're going to perceive that you've been with Jesus. So after thanking the Father uh, for his wisdom, verse 27, Jesus, first of all, highlights his unity with the Father. Uh, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. Secondly, his special relationship with the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And then thirdly, how God allows us to have some part in that special relationship to the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So how do you and I know the Father? There's only one way, and that is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Later, Jesus, of course, would say in John chapter 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So the way to this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come to the Father, have relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this year has brought, you know, many challenges to us, and it's definitely has been um, such a unique year, not just with the pandemics, but last week as the snow came, we were thankful for the snow because it really suppressed the fires that we have seen going on since July, the Mullins fire, the Cameron Peak fire, the... Uh, East Troublesome fire that ran just a couple weeks ago, um, the Cowwood fire, so much smoke right in our area, ash falling on our cars and on, you know, uh, you know, all on our streets every day. It was gloomy and cloudy and smoky. I've never seen anything like it living here in 50 years in Colorado. And, and to learn all those things that were taking place as those fires ran, hundreds of thousands of acres being burned, many homes. Matter of fact, they came out with a number of the Cameron Peak Fire, which is west of Fort Collins, that burnt, the, it's the largest fire in Colorado history, burned 222 homes and cabins, over 400 structures. We know that the East Troublesome Fire, they believe they estimate around four to 500 homes were burnt. We know the Cal Wood Fire burnt many homes. Same with the Mullen Fire. And I think, wow, you know, we need to be praying. And there are people that are displaced, still out of their homes, still haven't been able to get back to see if they have a home. They're starting to come back, and everything burnt. I can't imagine what that's like. Your home, you know, your sanctuary. It's more than just wood and, a, and, and brick and, and stone. And we know that to be true. But one of the things that I really missed this summer was to be able to get out, many of those places were closed, to be able to look up at the stars and to see the stars. It was odd not seeing any stars week after week and, and the moon was red and all of this. But we love getting away. We love getting away out in the country to see the Milky Way galaxy. And they say that the Milky Way galaxy is about 100 million light years long. That is, if you travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, it would take 100 million years to travel the length of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, that's a long road trip. It would take 10 million light years, you know, it's, uh, to travel the width of the Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy has billions upon billions of planets and stars in it. They also tell us that the Milky Way galaxy is an average-sized galaxy. In other words, as you look out in a known universe or you explore it, they believe there's billions and billions of galaxies that are out there. Some of those galaxies are smaller. Some of them are much larger. So the vastness of the known universe, and of course, as they send out more telescopes and more technology and satellites, they see further out. We can't comprehend it. I mean, there's so much that is out there, we can't even imagine it. And our God, the Word of God says, created all of it. 
and tells you and me that he holds it all between his thumb and his little finger in the palm of his hand. Now that's an incredible big God, an infinite God. So how can we know this huge, vast God? How? Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 3, O great is the mystery of godliness, that God would become a man. We know that Jesus would say, to know me is to know the Father. He would say after he declared that I am the way to the Father, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know the Father through the Son only and uniquely. We need to make sure that people understand that. Whom the Son wills to reveal him. So interesting. So we get into this whole area of the sovereignty of God. One of the questions that I get asked frequently and doing live radio in the call-in show that I've been doing for almost six years is people will call and say, I don't understand predestination and election and you know God chose us uh, versus the responsibility of man and, and we have the opportunity to choose. And the thing is, I tell them I don't understand it all either. Because God is an infinite God. I have a finite mind. I don't understand it all. I knew what, know what the Bible says. It declares that he chose us before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Before he even made the world, he placed his love upon you because of his love for you. He knew all about you. He knew that he, you would be here on this morning, on November 1st, 2020. And he says to you, I love you so much. And he has a special invitation to give to you, as we're going to get into it in a minute. I mean, that just really amazes me. Jesus said to the disciples that you didn't choose me, I chose you. So we know that there's the sovereignty of God, the, the election of God. He knows the end from the beginning. He's infinite. But I also know that the Bible tells us that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who is in that category, whosoever? It's all of us, any of us. And we're going to see an invitation that is given here that Jesus is going to include all of us as we continue on. So you have the sovereignty of God, uh, the election of God, the, the, the predestination of God choosing us. You have the responsibility of man. Both are at work. And I like, I believe it's what A.W. Tozer said, that if God was, was small enough to have all figured out, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. He's an infinite God, and I know both are at work. I used to, I remember when I first got into ministry, I used to think, Lord, why would you even call me to serve you? You know, I used to wonder, Lord, why me? Why did you choose me? And I don't worry about the, the whys anymore. I just rejoice in it. I rejoice, Lord, that you have revealed your word to me, that you chose me before the foundation of the world. And I am thankful that somebody came along and gave me the gospel, and I heard it clearly. And I thank you for prompting my heart to, that I would come to that place of just being humbled and being drawn to you to where I can make a choice for you. I just thank you for that, and I rejoice in that. But as we see here that... Um, Jesus now, as he's going to give this wonderful invitation, remember that Jesus has been rebuking that generation and those cities who saw them, his mighty works. They rejected him, but he never leaves them without any hope. Will you remember that? He doesn't leave them without any hope. He rebuked Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, the religious leaders, how they're unreasonable, but then he comes and he gives this invitation to all. When we talk with others, we can look at others. We can look at other groups of people, wh whatever the case may be, and we can think they're so far from God, they're so lost, and, and, and we begin to look down on them. And we begin to look at them in that negative way. Listen, there are times, obviously, that we have to tell people you need to repent, what you're doing is wrong, this is what God's word has to say, but don't leave them without any hope. Don't just leave them there. It's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, as we've been going through those chapters on Wednesday nights, 48 chapters so far, his ministry was over 40 years. 
And Jeremiah came with a very difficult message because you have turned away from the Lord and you have followed after idols and you're following the dictates of your evil hearts and you refuse to turn to the Lord that there's going to be death, destruction, devastation, and there's going to be captivity that's going to come to you. And that's exactly what happened because they refused to listen to the word of the Lord, the prophets that came to them, not just Jeremiah, but before that, Isaiah and the other prophets. And they refused to listen. But Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. We know that Isaiah also wept in the message that he gave. And you and I should weep as well. So we see others that are rejecting him because there's eternal consequences. But we always want to give a message of hope. And that's what Jeremiah did. He said, the Lord, write a letter to them. Tell them that they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. They are to plant themselves there in the land, live peaceably, have children so they're not diminished, plant gardens, and after 70 years, I will come and visit them. I haven't forgotten about them. And I know my thoughts toward you, says the Lord, they're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And we need to continue to give people a message of hope that Jesus is your hope. Repent and turn to him. So as Jesus has been rebuking the religious leaders, those who have come and rejected his ministry in the Galilee region, we see that he says now in verse 28, a lot of you, you know this portion of scripture, that come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know the Father through the Son, whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then he gives this invitation, come to me, all of you. Not some of you, not just the popular ones or whatever. He said, all of you who are willing, who desire, who recognize their need to come. Come to me, and it's a wonderful invitation to all. And in this invitation, he says, come directly to me. Learn of me. Yoke yourself to me. Now, those of us who have smaller kids, I know when our kids were smaller, that whenever they became tired or weary or um, they just were confused, they would come to mom. They would come to dad. They come to you, don't they? Your, your grandchildren do. They come to receive comfort and help and rest. How much more a heavenly father uh, that desires for us to come to him. Jesus, the good shepherd, that gives this invitation, come to me, learn of me, yoke yourself to me. Jesus showing his authority by giving this invitation to a personal invitation that he gives to come to him personally. It's an invitation that I wouldn't dare give. And again, I want to give you words of truth. I want to give you words of eternal life. I want to serve you in humility and be a help to you and encouragement to you and to build you up. But I can't give you rest in your soul. That comes by knowing him, by resting in your heart and in your soul that God loves you and died for you, wants to forgive you. Only Jesus can do that. And in my ministry, I always want to, to point people past me to Jesus, to him personally, to draw close to him, because he is our help, he is our strength, he is our comfort, and he is our rest. It's not found in religion. It's not found in a church. It is found in him personally. So he says, come to me, all of you who labor, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 9, it talks about how the children of Israel labored, enslaved by Pharaoh. He said, let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it, making bricks in the hot, blistering sun under the Egyptian taskmaster that was beating them, afflicting them. Egypt, of course, in the Old Testament is a picture of the world. Are you tired? of laboring in this world and for this world, for Pharaoh. And again, don't misunderstand me. I think that as Christians, we should be the hardest workers and the best workers that are out there in the workforce. Whatever it is that you're doing, we are told that we are to do it unto the Lord, 
that is in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy our jobs or try to you know, expand our business or do well in our business. But if we are just motivated to work for worldly reasons, that is a priority for us. I want to amass more. I want to get more. I want to have more power. I'm going to work my way to the top. And I have talked with people over the years in ministry who labored in that way, that made that a priority in their life. And they found out that the promise of Egypt is empty and that Pharaoh's a big ripoff. And he's a terrible taskmaster. And they say, I'm weary and I'm tired and I'm anxious and I'm unfulfilled. The Lord's speaking to his people in Isaiah 55. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And why do you spend money for what is not bread and you labor for what does not satisfy? And perhaps there have been those here this morning, maybe somebody here right now that you've labored for the things of the world and you are unhappy, you're unfulfilled, you're not satisfied, there is no joy in your heart, you're discouraged and you're anxious and you hunger for something. And you've come to realize that what the world has to offer is just a big lie. And it's empty. And that is why people live strange lifestyles and defeated lifestyles and feel so discouraged and uncertain. They labor for food that doesn't fill, it doesn't satisfy. And Jesus later on after this would declare that I am the bread of life and he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who drinks of me shall never thirst. He's talking about closeness and he's talking about fellowship. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. What does it mean to be heavy laden? Well, in Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet writes, Alas, a sinful nation of people laden with iniquity. The Lord was saying to his people, the reason that you're stricken and desolate and your heart faints, you're full of wounds and bruises and you're all beat up is because of sin, because you've rebelled. And that's what sin will do. Sin will weigh you down. In Psalm 38, David writes about the time when he was going through a season of sin. He writes, Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. Sin will begin to just take a toll on you. And that's why it's a loving father that says, listen, you stay away from sin. Don't be involved in sin because you're going to get hurt. You're going to be bruised. You're going to beat up, be beat up, and you will find that it will do you in and it will wipe you out and it'll be like a huge weight that is on you. And again, maybe perhaps there have been those this morning you say, I know. I feel that weight. I feel so beat up because of my foolishness, because of my sin and turning away from the Lord. You're beat up and you're, you're weighed down because you're feeling the consequences of that sin. And he says to all of us here this morning, listen, come to me. And if there's anything in your life that the Lord is dealing with you about, sin or carnality, repent and turn away from that sin. And come to me, he says, receive my forgiveness and my mercy and my love, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Verse 29, he says, you will find rest for your souls. You see, the Lord, listen, he not only wants us to trust in him, he wants us to rest in him. What does that mean? Because I talk with Christians that say, well, I'm trusting the Lord, but I'm still very anxious, I'm fretting, I'm nervous, uh, 
um, burdened, um, and there really isn't any rest in the Lord that they're experiencing. I've been there before. And it is something that the Lord wants us to have. You'll have rest for your soul. We like to get away, don't we? Maybe a vacation or get away for a long weekend, whatever the case may be. And when we do, we get away to a quiet place. We get away where we can enjoy it and get away from the noise and the routines and all of that. A place that is restful and peaceful. That's what we like to do. David would write in Psalm 55, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I would fly away and be at rest. I think that a lot of us over the last several months, there have been times, maybe you feel that way right now, I would just love to just fly away, right? And just be at rest. I'm tired of all the noise, the uncertainty, everything that's going on, uh, what it is that I'm facing, the circumstances, the situation that I'm in. I would just love to fly away. Some of us, you know, I've always said I'd love to just find a big rock to crawl under, you know, and just hide away. And we can feel that way at times. The Lord says that I want to give you rest even during those times. When Israel had danced around the golden calf, the Lord was going to consume them, and Moses interceded on their behalf in Exodus 32. You can read that. When you move into chapter 33, God says to Moses, go into the promised land. I'm going to send my angel before you, but I will not go in your midst. And what Moses did is he folded up his tent and he walked outside of the camp, put up his tent, he called it the Tabernacle of Meeting, and he spent time with the Lord. It tells us that the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses, who was so busy, like all of us, I think I'm busy, he was pastoring a church of two and a half million people for 40 years out there in the wilderness. And he spent that time with the Lord. And as he's praying to the Lord, he says, you say, bring this people to go ahead and go into the promised land, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. And if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I might know you and find grace in your sight. And if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. What was Moses saying? He was saying, I'd rather stay out here in a hot, barren desert if you're not going to go into the land flowing with milk and honey with us. If your presence doesn't go with us, I want to know you and find grace in your sight. And the Lord would answer Moses and say that my presence will go with you and I'll be your rest, Moses. So how do we have that rest First of all, by coming to him. First, we have rest as we come in faith in Jesus Christ. Rest from fear of judgment and eternal separation from him. And those of us who have come to Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, there is therefore now, now means what? This morning. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't live in fear of death. I rest that my sins are forgiven and I'm going to go to heaven. I trust in his word. But the rest that the Lord has for us, coming first by faith in him, his death on Calvary's cross. Secondly, we have rest by knowing him. Rest in this turbulent world that we live in. We can have rest in our souls, rest from feeling the, from the drudgery of life and we do that by being one that we come to him and we know him we learn of him we learn of him and then we're yoked to him what is a, a yoke i think most of us know uh, back in those days they had wooden yokes that they made and they would yoke two oxen together to plow a field I just suspect this is just an opinion of mine. Please don't make theology out of this. But Jesus being raised in the carpenter shop, I just wonder if he had a specialty of making yokes. 
and they would have the double yoke and they would have two oxen they would yoke together and one was the stronger, older, more experienced ox. The other one was the younger ox, less experienced. And they would walk together and they're yoked together. And as that, that stronger ox would go left, the other one had to learn to go left. If it didn't, you know, it would jerk his neck and it would hurt. But he would learn from that. Jesus is saying, you yoke yourself to me. Yoke yourself to me. Walk with me. Learn of me. Go in the, my ways. That's what Moses was saying. I want to know your ways. You don't yoke yourself to the world. You don't yoke yourself to religion. Because those yokes can be very hard and difficult. In Acts chapter 15, here comes Paul and Barnabas and the guys from Antioch. They've been ministering and to the Gentiles, people are getting saved. Here comes the Judaizers behind him saying, that's all fine and dandy what Paul is saying, that you're saved by grace alone, by faith in Jesus Christ, but there's more to it, that you need to circumcise yourself and keep the law of Moses. So what do we tell these Gentiles? So Paul and Barnabas and the guys from Antioch, they come up to Jerusalem. There's James and, and, and John and there's Peter. The guys in Jerusalem, they have what is called in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council, what are we going to tell these Gentile believers? And Peter stands up and he says that why should we put a yoke on the neck of those disciples that neither we or our fathers could bear? bear? What was he saying? The yoke of legalism. Why do we want to put it on them? The yoke of the law. You yoke yourself to the Lord and you yield to him where he wants to take you to guide you to do in your life that I might know your ways as Moses said I don't want to go there if you don't want me to Lord I don't want to just live for myself and I know that your ways are right and true and good and as I just yoke myself to you I will find rest in my soul as I learn of you as I stay close to you he says that my Burden is light, my yoke is easy. The burden of the world is hard. The burden of legalism is heaviness. The burden of Jesus is light. In other words, it's not going to be so heavy and hard and difficult. We say it's hard being a Christian today, and it can be, because we talked about how relationships in the last chapter can be severed and strained, that people come against us, the world is going to hate us. I, I get that, but I'll tell you what is harder is not being a Christian. I think, what would my life be like if I wasn't a Christian? It would be a mess. The deception, the darkness, the, the foolishness, that's what's hard. But as we come to Jesus, and as we learn of Jesus, yoke ourselves to Jesus, it's, he says that, you know, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Gentleness has the meaning of meekness. Not weakness, it's meekness. It's really the only dis description Jesus gives of himself. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Know that you'll find rest for your souls. The one who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, humbled himself, became a man, became a bondservant, was obedient to death, the death on the cross, Philippians chapter 2. A lot of things going on around this, isn't there? The uncertainty, we hear the numbers of the COVID numbers going up, the election this week, all kinds of things going on. The holidays are coming up. And we can become anxious and the uncertainty and we fret. And I get that. I can do the same thing. But I do know this, that during especially the last several months, that when we go through a time like this, the Lord can really expose some things in our lives that are good. And one of the things is some of that noise that you have, you need to put aside. I'm not saying we shouldn't be informed or watch the news or any of those things. But it can overwhelm us so much that you need to learn to take that time to fold up your tabernacle of meeting and spend some time with me. And learn of me. To press in even closer. 
And as I do that, there is peace and there is rest in my soul. And I think he would have us to be reminded of those things. The less noise of the world that is so overwhelming and the uncertainty of the world to know the certainty of him and the promises that he's given to us and to know that, listen, folks, we win. We have a glorious future. And on Wednesday morning, when we get up, no matter who wins in the elections, and listen, I'm concerned for our country. It's important to me as well. I understand all that. I get all that. But I do know this, that he is still on the throne. This all-powerful, all-sovereign God, and everything is culminating for his purposes and for his kingdom that's going to be established. Amen? And underneath it all, I may not like it, or I may like it. What happens? I'm going to still pray for my nation. I'm going to still be a voice to be heard. But underneath it all, I don't have to be anxious and fretting that I can have that peace and that rest in my soul because I belong to him in a kingdom that's going to last forever. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words because we get tired and we get weary and, and everything that's taken place around us and it, it just weighs on us. And Lord, I pray that this morning we'd be reminded that we are to come to you, continue to learn of you, and Lord, be yoked to you. I thank you for the invitation is given to all of us. And Lord, you promise we will find rest in our spirit souls in our hearts that we don't have to be anxious for anything but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let our requests be known to god and the peace of god that passes understanding will guard our hearts and mind in christ jesus so i thank you for your words of truth given to us that we can embrace and leave this place knowing that we are in your hands that, Lord, we can know your ways and that your grace and your peace and your rest will fill our hearts, your comfort, your love. I want to pray if there's anyone listening or you're here this morning, you'd never come to Jesus in faith for salvation, for forgiveness of sin, that the invitation is for you to call out on the name of the Lord to be saved. We have sinned, all of us, and the wages of sin is death, and that's why Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. He made atonement for your sin. He loves you so much. And on that cross, he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I paid the price. And as we come in faith, that we can know that we can have relationship with the Father through Jesus, forgiveness of sin through the work on the cross, and the hope of eternal life because he is the way. If that's you, anyone, you can pray, Jesus, I do come to you. I turn to you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. That you're alive, you rose from the grave, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for bringing me to the family of God in this new beginning. And I can trust and rest in you for my salvation in every day of my life now, in Jesus' name. And for all of us, that we would leave here in courage, knowing that you're not going to leave us as orphans. You're not going to abandon us. But you are going to fulfill your promises to us. And you're with us. So may we have rest during this time that we're in, in the days ahead, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Anybody made a decision for the Lord, I'd love to pray with you. Or if you just need prayer for anything, I'm going to be here to pray with you. Six o'clock, hymn night. Travis is going to close us. And all the earth will shout your praise. No. Will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. 
God bless you guys. We hope you have a great rest of your week. Hope to see you again soon.